0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com acquire. That's linkedin.com acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 212. It's titled, Trade Wars Increase Prices and Poverty. Late last week, President Donald Trump imposed tariffs for the first time directly on China. A 25% tariff on $34 billion worth of Chinese imports into the United States. China immediately responded and applied tariffs to $34 billion of U.S. exports. Trump is eyeing another $16 billion of tariffs on Chinese goods and indicated that the the total tariff amount could be $500 billion. That's as much as China exported to the U.S. in 2017. Total imports from China was $506 billion that year. The US exported $130 billion. And so the trade deficit was $375 billion. The biggest imports from China, $167 billion of computers and electronics. And then other big items electrical equipment, apparel, machinery, furniture. Whereas the U.S. is exporting its biggest export, about $15 billion, are farm crops, of which 60% are soybeans. And we'll get to soybeans later in this episode. Why does the U.S. run such a huge trade deficit with China? Well, first, China has a lower standard of living. Workers are paid less which means that Chinese can make things more cheaply. It's cheaper to buy stuff in China. If you live in China, the costs just aren't as high. And what's happening it is so much easier to get things from China. Have you been on Alibaba? I was on Alibaba. This is a website where you effectively could search for anything and buy it from China. I did a quick search. I don't even know how I got onto It's ice cream machines, commercial ice cream machines, soft serve, hard ice cream, 28,000 results. And Alibaba provides trade assurance. You get payment protection, shipping protection, product quality protection. There's really very little risk to import from China. And businesses are doing more and more. Nobody is forcing businesses to import from China. China's products are cheaper because their cost, particularly worker wages are so much lower than the US. The other reason, which is which is less so today but it, it has been an issue and a contention point with Trump is is The Chinese currency, the yuan, is it too cheap? Is the dollar too strong relative to the yuan, and is that making Chinese goods artificially inexpensive? There's been times that has been the case. China has what's called a, a managed floating exchange rate. They keep the currency pegged, to a basket of other currencies. But there, there's some range there. But since April, the yuan ha- has weakened five over 5% relative to the dollar. And it's not, right now, if anything, the yuan seems perhaps overvalued. If it was allowed to float freely. It's hard to say that, though. But there definitely has been times that, that China has kept the yuan artificially weak, which has made products coming in from China cheaper. I was at a secondhand store a few weeks ago. We went to a family reunion in Ohio, and there was a book there that I ended up buying. Hardback book. It's called titled "The Power Economy." It's by the economist John. Oliver Wilson, he was chief economist with Bank of America. This book came out in 1985. So I was in college at the time. Here's what it said. Here's a quote. The danger of protectionism is history will repeat itself. Extreme protectionism rose during the 1920s and was a major contributor to the global depression of the 1930s. And the Second World War. Trade warfare erupted, and eventually the entire global economy broke down. The United States became insular. The Europeans fought among themselves, and the Japanese moved into Manchuria and began to acquire territories throughout Southeast Asia to secure stable sources of raw materials. The words of British statesman David Lloyd George are as relevant today and stated during those treacherous tre- 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 days in 1933, the world is getting near the brink year by year, revolutions by revolution, conference by conference. There was a lot of trading going on in the 1910s. The, the effective tariff, so the tariff on, the, the tariff rate on imports into the US in 1920 was 6%. It rose to 20% by the early to mid 1930s. So it was just a series, there was a trade war, there's a series of tariffs against each other that ultimately culminated, not just because of the trade war, but certainly had a big influence in the Great D- Depression. By the 1950s, so after World War II, tariffs were back down to 6%. It rose close to 10% in the 1960s. It was back to 5% in 1985 when, again, there was the discussion, should there be more tariffs, in this case, against Japan? Should there be more protectionism? It wasn't the case. They decided they didn't do it. And so by the year 2000, tariffs fell close to 2%. Now, with this new trade war, if the proposed tariffs just for 2018 were put in place, the, the overall tariff would be back up to 5%. China, the U.S., and the European Union are the three largest manufacturers in the world. They each manufacture about $2 trillion worth of goods. Back in 1985, China was not one of the top three manufacturers. Japan would have been there. But there's one thing that has definitely occurred because of this ongoing trading, even despite a 5% tariff. Trade reduces poverty. The Economist, is an article article from uh, last year. They wrote, in 1981, 42% of the world's population were extremely poor. So about, you know, a few years before the book came out by John Oliver Wilson. And by poor, the economist says, they, they were not just poor that poorer than a large majority of their compatriots, as many rich countries define poverty among their own citizens today but absolutely destitute. At best, they had barely enough money to eat and pay for necessities like clothes. At worst, they starved 42% in 1981. The Economist continues. Since then, the number of people in absolute poverty has fallen by about a billion. And the number of non-poor people has gone up by roughly 4 billion. By 2013, the most recent year for which reliable data exists, just 10% of the world's population was poor, and the yardstick was typically less than a dollar ninety. You earn less than a dollar ninety per day, using basically based on 2011 data. So it's gone from 42% in 1981 to 10% today, because of trade, particularly China, increasing the amount of trading that they do. The Economist points out that it took Britain a century from 1820s to 1920s to take their extreme poverty from 40% of the population down to 10%. From 1870 to 1970, Japan took the percent of its population that was extremely poor from 80% down to almost nothing. China is on course to, to do it even faster than Japan. And you can see it in the numbers. One way you measure the wealth of a nation is how much output is produced per person, GDP per capita is the measure. And this is using 2010 dollars. This is data from the World Bank. World GDP per capita in 1960 was $3,694. By 2017, it was $10,634. Now, let's compare that to the US. US in 1960 was 17,036 per capita output was 53,000 in 2017. China was only $192 in 1960, and it's up to $7,329 today. Again, this this takes out the impact of inflation. This is using constant $2010. China's gone from 192 the amount of output per person, to $7,329. And if we look at it, on a a purchasing power parity basis, essentially factoring in the the lower cost uh of labor and just lower cost of living in in China and adjust for that, China has taken their per capita GDP from fifteen hundred dollars in nineteen ninety up to fifteen thousand three hundred dollars in twenty seventeen the u s has gone from thirty seven thousand In 1990, to 20 to 54,000 in 2017. Now, the US is still way more productive in terms of their output per person. 54,000 versus 15,000 for China. And in episode 142, we talked about that. Having higher per capita output, being more productive means you can pay higher wages to not just manufacturers, but everyone else. Accountants in the U.S. make much more than accountants in Mexico or China, even though the jobs are similar, but they make more because the U.S. is able to produce more per person. There's more income to share with everyone. This is important. Here's economist Warren Mosler. Yes, he writes, when we buy imports, jobs are lost. Just as when we replace workers with machines, including lawnmowers, vacuum cleaners, and power washers. Jobs are lost. And yet, somehow, we've survived all that. We went from needing 99% of the people working to grow our food to less than 1%. And manufacturing jobs are down to only 7% of the labor force as well. And yet the remaining 90% of us are not all unemployed as jobs have proliferated in the service sector, where most of those jobs are now considered to be better jobs and generally pay more than agriculture and manufacturing jobs. The trade deficit, imports, it, it is Huge with China. But that's because there's businesses all over the U.S. buying that. There's consumers buying from China because it's cheaper. Yet, and we've lost manufacturing jobs, but we're still, the U.S. is still producing $2 trillion worth of goods each year manufactured but they're goods that are manufactured at higher wages because of efficiencies, because of robotics. The U.S. is wealthier because of trade. China is wealthier because of trade. There is less poverty because of trades, And trade wars reverse those trends, potentially, to where we're not as wealthy. And there is more poverty. Global trade is is very, very complex. It is a complex adaptive system. And focusing on trying to to, to apply tariffs to reduce a trade deficit, it's ineffective and potentially dangerous because of unintended consequences. Before we explore that, let me share some words from this week's sponsors. Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com David. That's linkedin.com David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. There are two types of unintended consequences. There, there's the good kind, things that just naturally evolve. And there's a the bad kind that happen when you start Messing, or trying to change from the top, top down, a complex adaptive system. Here's an example of the good kind. This is from Karl Popper's book, Objective Knowledge. He writes, how does an animal path in the jungle arise? Some animal may break through the undergrowth in order to get to a drinking place. Other animals find it easiest to use the same track. Thus, it may be widened and improved by use. It is not planned. It is an unintended consequence of the need for easy or swift movement. This is how a path is made, even by men, and how language in any other institution which are useful may arise. That's how these, this complex trading network, the global supply chain, arose, little by little, layer by layer, layer by layer. And, and as a result, as he says, they're not planned or intended. Again, referring to the animal tracks, and there perhaps no need for them before they came into existence. He says, a, a very obvious example is a garden, even though it may have been planned with great care. It will, as a rule, turn out partly in unexpected ways. But even if it turned out as planned, some unexpected Interrelationships between the plant objects may give rise to whole new universe of possibilities, of possible new aims, of possible new problems. It's the interrelationships, the connections. That's why Taleb, Nassim Nicholas Taleb in his book Skin in the Game, talks about we can't just study individual ants. We have to study ant colonies, and how they operate. Because the ensemble, he writes, behaves in ways not predicted by its components. It's the interrelationships. And that's just the nature of complex adaptive system. John C. Goodman in a book I'm reading now on healthcare. Perhaps I'm gonna do another episode that on that in, in the near term. But he writes an interesting, in his books called Priceless, Curing the Healthcare Crisis. He writes, an interesting characteristic of complex systems is that when you perturb them by passing a law, for example, there are always unintended consequences. The less you know about the system, the more unpredictable these consequences can be. Economic history provides numerous examples of governments that adopted policies in an attempt to improve things, but ended up making this situation worse. The tariffs, the threat of tariffs, businesses are already adapting to it. Here's an anonymous comment. The ISM, they do a monthly PMI survey, and as part of that, they'll, they'll include some quotes. So this is from the July ism report here's one quote u.s tariff policy and lack of predictability along with the threat of trade wars is causing general business instability and is a drag on growth for investments this is from an electrical equipment appliance and component manufacturers here's from a food beverage and tobacco products here's what they say we export to more export to more than 100 countries we are preparing to shift some customer responsibilities among manufacturing plants and business units due to trade issues. For example, we'll shift production for China market from the U.S. to our Canadian plant to avoid higher tariffs. Within our company, there's a sense of uncertainty due to potential trade wars. When, tra- when tariffs are put in place, companies immediately adapt. Harley-Davidson's, they're moving they have said that they're going to move their production of motorcycles being sold in Europe to Europe to manufacture them there. Here's Oliver Bloom. He's chief executive of Porsche and head of production of the Volkswagen Group. It's a quote from the Financial Times. Let me be clear, he says, wherever it is reasonable to localize, we will do it without hesitation. That means they're going to move. Their production to wherever they can do it cheapest. Here's Arndt Ellinghorst. He's lead automotive analyst at Evercore ISI. He says The sad truth is that if you impose tariffs, productions will move around. If nationalist trends continue, the inevitable outcome will be more production where you sell the car, because that's the only way to avoid larger tariffs. In May, the Commerce Department said they had begun to an investigation initiated by President Trump on the auto industry to see if imports of cars and trucks and auto parts is having a detrimental effect on America's national security. This is the same code or law that was used to imply apply tariffs on steel in aluminum. We talked about that. I think it's section 232 in depth in episode 195. So they've started the investigation. They're asking for comments. And here's General Motors, they so they responded to this government's action, this investigation. And they point out that the GM has 47 manufacturing facilities in the US, 25 service part facilities. 110,000 people work for GM in the U.S. They buy tens of billions of dollars worth of parts from U.S. suppliers every year. And since 2009, they've invested $22 billion in U.S. manufacturing operations. But here's how they describe. This This is what global supply chains are. They write, The U.S. auto industry has grown increasingly competitive over the past decade, challenging automakers to produce world-class vehicles with maximum efficiency. Our industry is highly technical, relies on long manufacturing and product development lead times, and is incredibly capital intensive. In addition, efficiency for GM comes from our disciplined deployment of capital Our complex and highly integrated global supply chain in our ability to design, engineer, and manufacture at scale on a global level. Our competitors operating in the U.S. and around the world derive their efficiency from a similar approach. Complex global supply chain. They go on. The threat of steep tariffs on vehicles and auto components imports risks undermining GM's competitiveness against foreign auto producers by erecting broad-brush trade barriers that increase our global cost, remove a key means of competing with manufacturers in lower-wage countries, and promote a trade environment in which we could be retaliated against in other markets. The penalties we could incur from tariffs and increased costs will be detrimental to the future industrial strength and readiness of manufacturing operations in the United States and could lead to negative consequences for our company and U.S. economic security. In other words, applying tariffs on car imports would do the exact opposite of what the tariffs are supposed to potentially do, reduce economic security, national defense. GM goes on to say that the tariffs eventually it's gonna cost cons- customers. They'll have to raise vehicle prices. And if they eat the cost, then they're not gonna be able to pay the workers as much or gonna have to cut wages. In other words, there's an impact. The tariffs increase prices for people and potentially lower wages. And this this term, this broad brush. Trade barriers. These are complex global supply chains. And you start just messing with it, then the companies are quick to adapt. You've seen in the case of China, their tariffs on soybeans. Soybean prices, first off, as soon as it became clear that these tariffs could go in place, they they rushed a bunch of exports uh, of soybeans to China. Big big increase in soybean exports, enough that probably going to impact second quarter GDP, and then potentially potentially reduce third quarter GDP because of, of just trying to get to get the soybeans delivered to China before these tariffs take place. So exports jumped 4.1 billion in May from 2.2 billion the month before. And then you have a situation where essentially the soybean prices have fallen 14% in the US in the last month or so, as there's concern this is the futures markets because they're going to be less demand. Meanwhile, demand for soybeans from Brazil, have increased significantly. In fact, there's a premium price for Brazilian soybeans. China is a huge importer of soybeans. They use it for the oil, oil seed, which is used to make cooking oil, and animal feed. And as I mentioned, it's 60% of U.S.'s $20 billion agro-exports to China or soybeans. That business is going to Brazil. And, and so that hurts U.S. soybean farmers, particularly in Iowa. But there's all this adaption as you sort of use this blunt tool of tariffs. Now, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be trade deals, trade negotiations, where the trade's unfair, but it should be done on a case-by-case basis, as I discussed in episode 195. Here's how GM put it. They wrote, we support the modernization of U.S. trade policy, but to remain globally competitive and sustain our leadership in the development of new technologies, U.S. auto companies need U.S. trade deals that recognize the strength that comes from global operations and a global supply chain. Trade is global, and it has made the world richer and wealthier. It has taken millions out of poverty as they focus on producing what they can produce best, often at the cheapest prices. And that has allowed wealthier countries to specialize in what they're more efficient at and pay higher wages. And you can see that in the number as per capita GDP across the globe has increased significantly over the previous decades. So that's episode 212. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. Why are there? Sign up up for my free Insider's Guide. This is a weekly email I send with that week's show notes, as well as an essay that I only share with Insider's Guide members in terms of some of the best writing I do each week, things that didn't make it in the podcast, other things I'm thinking about. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education and not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not providing investment advice. Just general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.